Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In the spirit of reconciliation, the entire team at Curious Freedom acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, waters and community. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people listening today. I would like to acknowledge in particular the Darug people who are the original custodians on the land on which I record this podcast. Thank you for showing us what curious freedom can look like. Hello and welcome to the Curious Freedom Podcast with me, Kirsty Faruja. And today I have my amazing, incredible, wonderful, not enough adjectives in the world to describe my friend Trish Beckenham is here with me today and we are talking about trauma and mess and all things. We don't know where this conversation is going to lead, so it's going to be fun. Trish is my dear friend and she is a certified registered counsellor in Australia and has been for six years. And I couldn't think of a better person to have on, particularly after our episode a couple of weeks ago about stress with John. I thought, oh, I want to dig more into the body and how our body responds to stuff. And so I thought I would have Trish on. So welcome, Trish. Hi. Thank you for having me. So wonderful to have you on my imaginary couch today. (laughs) So Trish, have you ever been in a messy situation? (laughs) When have I not? (laughs) And how has your body responded to mess? My body does not respond well to mess. I go overwhelmed quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm sharing, a lot of what I've studied, a lot of who I am is because of who I am. 
because of what I've come out of, because of what I've overcome or am working to overcome. It's why I have studied the way I have. Is there any ever been a counsellor who has studied counselling who has not done it because of their own stuff or discovered their own stuff as they've studied counselling? I really have not ever heard of one. (laughs) No, and even if counsellors haven't had their own trauma and mess that they've grown up through or in through or come out of, it is quite common to discover just how messy you are as you go through the counselling qualifications. Hey. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's on top of all the little moments of doing abnormal psych and wondering if I'm, you know, all these weird things. Yep. I digress. (laughs) No, I made us digress because I have quite a few counsellor friends and (laughs) I think that everything I've heard about counselling has made me think if I don't want to learn more about myself, don't study counselling, don't go to a counsellor, don't (laughs) just continue to stick your head in the sand, Kirsty. Stick your head in the sand. Yes. I actually saw a meme the other day somebody shared with me that said what people think going to counseling is like, and that's just talking about yourself. But for the counselor, it's hearing their attachment, understanding everything that they've been through, all the different ways of understanding what they've experienced and um, realizing that, oh, wait a minute, that means I'm on counseling mode constantly because I'm constantly hearing and understanding all that stuff. So trying to bring myself back thanks to a meme. (laughs) So what is it like to be a counsellor and view the world through that new lens that you've been given through all of your training? It's constant, but I am not sure. Okay, this is going out to everybody, right? (laughs) I recently discovered that I myself am on spectrum ADHD, lots of wonderful little oddities about me, which has opened my eyes in a greater way to how unique we all are. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding that for me, constantly being switched on and understanding where people are coming from, that's just me. Yes. And I think that this is one of the things that I am always grappling with maybe that's not the right word but always like trying to you know as a human being or maybe it's just as Kirsty I'm always trying to categorize and make sense of the world and not necessarily fit things in boxes but fit things in place and trying to understand things I'm just curious about things (laughs) hence the name of my business and the podcast And trying to make sense of things and just realizing that (laughs) there's lots that can't be made sense of and lots that is unique and different. And I always say that, like I'm always saying curious ones are unique and their family makeup and their family's current situation is unique to them and their families. But just trying to always like, find the commonality as well. So, you know, there's uniqueness, but there's also so much that we're all the same in. And that I think one of the things that 
I really have a heart for people is that dichotomy in that we are unique and yet we all have really similar experiences and that we're actually not alone ever in our thoughts. And even our unique way of seeing something is not necessarily completely unique and we're not like it's such a dichotomy. Is that the right word to use? <laughs> like, yeah. How do you express to somebody that they're so unique and the way that they see the world is unique, but actually I've seen that play out a thousand times. <laughs> and there is similarities between your experience. As unique as it is, there's still similarities between somebody else's experience and you're actually not as alone as the world makes you think that you are. Yeah, I think we naturally go to that place of we are alone. We're the only ones feeling that way. But the thing is, trauma is not what happens to you. It's how you react to what happened to you. Mm. And if we're all made with nervous systems and bodies that grow in a certain way, work in a certain way, even though we're all still unique and they're constantly learning new things about how the brain works, how the body works, how, how the nervous system responds, even though that all of those things are constantly being stretched and grown and understood, there is still a very common connection between us all of the way we are reacting to things. Overwhelm is overwhelm. It may be for a different reason, but when we're overwhelmed, all the other things in our bodies start decreasing so that the focus can just be on, oh my goodness. And so it looks very similar for each of us, but it feels very individual and alone when we're in it. Mm. Please talk to me about the similarities of how our body responds to overwhelm. Because I think that is the word that I hear the most from clients and from listeners is I feel overwhelmed. And so talk to us about our similar responses and reactions in our bodies in all of the various ways to feeling overwhelmed. Okay. We might have a think about the way trauma affects our brain. Um, Well, more specifically, the way our brain responds to trauma. So within the nervous system, there's a few different parts, a few, but we're going to look at the sympathetic and the parasympathetic parts of the nervous system, not the complete parts of them, but just a few parts of them. And we're going to make it really basic. So you don't really need to know the name of the parts, but just to know we're going to look at three different parts that Mm -hmm. we all have. And these parts have jobs to do. And sometimes they do one job, sometimes they do another job. So it's just looking at how can we help them to calm and do that job rather than being overwhelmed and get forced into that job. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's these three parts. There's the ventral vagal part of our brain, the dorsal vagal, and then the the sympathetic nervous system part. So ventral vagal and dorsal vagal are both part of the parasympathetic. So the sympathetic nervous system looks after everything that you don't have to think about breathing, heart beating, all of that keeps your body running. Got it. Yeah. In in that part of your brain is also the fight and flight stuff. So always on, always on the lookout, needing to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. The parasympathetic part of it is the dorsal vagal area, which is like the shutdown area. So when there's a threat, we're going to go into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or submit 
So it's not just fight or flight. There's a whole bunch of different reactions and it depends on how we're reacting to it as to which area we go into. So the ventral vagal part of the parasympathetic nervous system, let's put that down on the bottom. We'll make it like three levels. Mm -hmm. So we put the ventral vagal on the bottom. That's going to be our social engagement area. That's where when we're doing good, we're in that space where we're feeling awe and joy and peace and connection, authenticity, all these really wonderful things we're experiencing in that part of our brain. And when we're in that part, we're able to connect with people. We're able to be confident. We're able to be a whole person and connect with another whole person. And there'd be that ooh bubble magic in between. Love that way of describing it. I yeah. know, it's a beautiful way of describing it. <laughs> but when a threat comes into that space, then we move up, we shift up to the next level, which is the sympathetic area. We move into the fight and flight. However, as an adult, if we learned as a child that that's not going to do any good, then instead of staying in fight or flight, when we learned as a child that I can't fight it and I can't run away from it, I'm going to have to endure it and hope I survive. Then we shift naturally. We skip fight and flight and we just shift up into a freeze and immobilization. We shut down, isolate. We feel helpless. We feel hopeless. So the dissociation, the hopelessness, the addiction. Mm-hmm. There's a funny thing about addiction. The opposite of addiction is not non-addiction. The opposite of addiction is connection. I knew you were going to say that word. <laughs> and when somebody is stuck in an addictive personality, even if it's addicted to collecting things, like I collect rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your good friend, so I knew that. And as soon as you said collecting, I was like, "Mm, like rocks, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, I have a few. And they don't even have to be spectacular to anybody else but me. So if we have this part of our personality where we're addicted to something, it's because we're trying to fulfill some part within us, a lack of connection somewhere. Mm -hmm. For me, there was abuses in childhood. And so overcoming those. But then recently discovering about autism, ADHD, there are also parts of my growing up that I didn't realize were harder for me because I wasn't processing the same way as everybody else. So that leads me into a place of trying to comfort myself and trying to fit into a world that I wasn't understanding. So it's a whole kettle of fish that is new for me to try and comprehend. But it is a picture that we can use to show how we move from the ventral vagal section, the bottom section, into fight and flight. I don't understand what's going on. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and then shifting. Okay, running away and fighting it never worked. So I'm just moving on up to freeze, go into depression, numb, isolate, not knowing what's going on, feeling the overwhelm. Is that clear? Yeah. So the thing is, the two parts of our brain that deal with fight and flight or the shutdown area, they actually have jobs to do when they're not busy trying to look after a threat. So the fight and flight area is busy looking after what's going on in your body. It's looking after your organs, your muscles, how everything's working, looking after your immune system, looking after your gut, looking after everything that it needs to look after. 
if your body is in the parasympathetic area of the dorsal vagal, its normal business is to be focused, to be able to be understanding what's going on for you. The fight and flight area is going to help you to be motivated. So it has a good reason to be there. So on a good day, when we're in the social engagement area in the bottom and everything is working good, then the next bit of our brain is going to be looking at how to keep us motivated, how to keep everything going well, how to keep our blood from clotting and just everything functioning well. The next level is going to be busy helping us to be connected and to be able to function in a healthy way without inflammation and sickness and all of that. Mm. So that's what we want our brain to be. Truth is, I guess being a counselor, I don't get to see many people who live in that space Mm. because it's a balance. It's not like we can live there permanently, but it's a place where we can get to in moments and to be able to catch it and enjoy it while we've got it is great. To appreciate that our brain is also keeping us safe and helping us to be safe is not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. It was made to be able to help us do this. So getting to a place where we can accept, oh, I'm actually feeling this at this moment. It's not, oh my goodness, I need, I need to go hide in a hole and feel this. It's just acknowledging without judging ourselves. I'm actually feeling this at the moment. I'm feeling like I need to run away. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And just acknowledging that, you know what? I've got a good reason for feeling that way. I maybe don't have a reason right now. I don't know what's happening right now that I feel that way. But when I was younger, there was a good reason to feel that way. So I'm just going to work on trying to soothe myself and calm myself down and just bring myself back into a place where I can be feeling love and calm and peace towards myself and then just help ourselves to come out of overwhelm by using skills that way. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating to learn that about the way that our brains are made and how our brains are designed not only to keep us safe, but what it does when it doesn't need to keep us safe, like when it's not on that high alert, that it's actually doing some really good and healthy and positive things. And so for me, what made me think is like, oh, so when I'm not feeling motivated and I'm feeling overwhelmed in any aspect of my life and any aspect, and I'm like, I just don't have the motivation for that is a good indication for me to then go, whoa, what's happening in my body? Like that, that makes me realize, oh, if I'm feeling unmotivated, then I must be stressed about something. (laughs) There must be something going on in my body. And can I control any of what else might be going on for me? So it helps me to then analyze where I'm sitting at the moment currently in life. And like, as you said, to breathe and to do some presence exercises to get myself back into the moment so that I can then go, oh, what can I control? What can't I control? Yeah. So can you talk to us more about that aspect of like, what can we do to review and to see what's going on under the surface? Because obviously things are going on under the surface that we may not understand. Mm, yeah. 
one important thing to remember is that when we are in overwhelm, we're not going to be able to think. So we're not going to be able to say to ourselves, oh, I am feeling this. And so I'm going to do this. Our brains are offline, basically. So when we are in overwhelm, our body is busy keeping us safe. And so the part of our brain that thinks is offline. It's just like not there. You cannot think your way out of it. So it makes it a challenge to introduce skills. Skills need to become part of a lifestyle so that it becomes more muscle memory rather than being able to think it through. So I like to take people to some really basic things like breathing, because breathing is something we're all doing. We can only breathe in the present. You can't breathe for the future or breathe for the past. You breathe in the present, which brings you automatically into the present moment. So if we practice daily, and there's research that's shown the benefits of 10 minutes a day, practicing focusing on your breathing increases your immune system and does all this amazing stuff for your body. And it's just one little thing. It sounds really simple and so simple that can't possibly be helpful, but it is. It's extremely helpful. They've even shown that it increases the strength of your mitochondria, which increases the length of your life. Mm -hmm. And so it's just focusing on the breathing. So when I speak with people, it's just trying to help them just notice, just becoming aware. So you're not judging your breathing, you're not breathing a certain style, you're just becoming aware of your breathing. You're becoming aware of air coming in, the air going out. If you can actually bring it in so it's nice and deep, a nice deep breath in through the nose, so much that your, your belly sticks out when you breathe it in. And then a nice, long, slow release of the breath through your mouth as if you were blowing through a straw. And what you're actually going to be able to do is trigger your nervous system. So the nice, deep in-breath where you make your belly go out, you're actually triggering a nerve, the vagus nerve, to tell your brain because you breathe differently with every emotion. And so you only breathe those long, slow, deep breaths when you're safe. So if you do it on purpose, it actually works like a remote control. You can tell your brain, no, I'm safe. When your brain has already been telling you, there's a problem, we're not safe, we're in overwhelm, we can't get out of this, we have no hope, we can take that moment and reverse that. Tell our brains, actually, in this moment, I'm safe. That's a feeling from the past, and I acknowledge that, but in this moment, I'm safe. If you are safe, if you're not safe, then get somewhere safe and then do it. Yes. And then once your brain gets that message, oh, I'm safe now, then it releases all these wonderful rest and digest neurochemicals that just flood through our body and just calm the whole chain reaction that's been happening. So it's very simple. It just takes practice. You practice it daily. And then when you're in the overwhelm, your body remembers to do it rather than you having to think it through. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but sometimes just having knowledge for me helps me to realize what's going on. So for instance, like you talking about the fact that when we're in overwhelm, we feel unmotivated. That for me was a light bulb moment of going, oh, that's awesome knowledge that of course my motivation disappears when I'm in overwhelm. That makes total sense when I think about it, (laughs) but often I can't think about it. And I've had a couple of experiences where it's just that knowledge, pre-knowledge helps in the moment. It helps me to go, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, okay. I am safe. I can breathe. You know, I can do what I know is best for me because I had a light bulb moment earlier. (laughs) And somewhere in my brain, I was able to access that knowledge even in an overwhelming situation. That's why I'm so excited to have you on so that we can talk about how our brain works so that hopefully if anybody else is like me, (laughs) they can also recognize quicker, they can quickly recognize what's actually going on for them and do some easy exercises to calm themselves down enough to be able to switch their brain back on and make the best next right step for them in whatever circumstance that they find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're stuck in the fight and flight area, your brain has already released chemicals like adrenaline and all these wonderful things to make your body ready to fight the threat or to run away from the threat. And so it has prepared your body for it. So you've got all these wonderful chemicals raging through your body that focusing on your breathing is not really going to help. So you need to actually get out and do some physical activity as well. You need to meet what's happening in your body. So if the, the rage is happening, if the I'm going to tear this apart is happening, then get out and do something. Get out in nature can be helpful for people. It's not helpful for everybody. Sometimes you just need to get in the pool or climb a mountain or do something that is going to be physical for you to get the physical neurochemicals to be spent. When you're in the overwhelm and the shutdown and you're feeling disconnected and detached and shameful, withdrawn, all those wonderful things, when you have no motivation, sometimes focusing on your breathing doing something that if you pictured yourself as a little child and as that little child was feeling that way, you as an adult were able to comfort them. What would you do for them? And can you do that for you? Some, sometimes we're hangry and we really need to eat something. That is the case for three of four of us in my house. <laughs> snacky 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 oh yes that's a good one um within reason a snuggly blanket a hot water bottle or if you're in a hot country at the moment 
you know, you just bath, a nice cool bath, a nice hot bath. It's just something that is going to serve to feed and care for and comfort that young part of you that's triggered into overwhelm because you're the one who can love that part of you now. You're the one who can care for that part. Nobody else can because they can't see that part of you. They just see you and they say, oh, she's overwhelmed or he's overwhelmed. But you are the one who can still see that young part of you that had a really difficult time and has a good reason for feeling that way. So it's how do I comfort that young part of me? What would I do for a little person standing in front of me that was feeling like this? And then do that for you. Is that helpful? Yeah. I just want to dig more into trauma now because I'm like, what is trauma? Because you mentioned trauma at the start. And I think that a lot of people don't go, well, I wasn't abused as a child. You know, I didn't have massive trauma that we think trauma often is related to. But you also did a tiny explanation of trauma. But let's talk a little bit. Can you explain more around that and your understanding and your knowledge of trauma? We can do that. So there's a general idea of, call it big T trauma and little t trauma. So big T trauma is like war and car accidents and life-threatening situations that are overwhelming to a system. Little t trauma is anything that overwhelms your system, especially as a child. Because as a child, your little body is scanning everything and learning how to react to the world and how you fit into the world. So for a little child who's not getting their needs met, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, because we are all parts of ourselves, we nothing happens to one part of us that doesn't happen to all of it. So body, soul, and spirit. If your needs as a little child are not being met, that's enough to tip a little child into the same kind of PTSD as a man who's gone to war. So a neglected child, that's serious stuff. Mm. And we don't think that. We think, oh, well, I didn't get beat. Well, that's good. But if your emotions were not being cared for, if you were not being paid attention to, This is not saying, oh, our parents are the reason for everything, because it's not really to do with them, or sometimes it is, sometimes things did happen. But sometimes it's just the way we reacted to things, and that could be for many reasons. It could be that we process things differently. So for one little child to feel like they're being neglected could mean something completely different for another little child. That's why you can actually have two people in a car accident and one person walks away the next day, gets in another car and drives away. The other person is never able to get into a car again. They were in the same accident. It was the same thing that happened, but the difference is the way they reacted on the inside. And that generally comes from the way they learned how to view the world and how they fit into it as a child. Yeah, and you know, as a parent, that explains how two children or three children in your case can have completely different responses to their mum yelling at them or their dad being too busy for them. And we see that in our families (laughs) and we can 
go back and see, you know, and talk to our siblings if we have them. And they probably have a completely different or nuanced response to the same situation that we experienced. Definitely. I hear it all the time. Yeah. People saying, oh, it's like my brother or my sister grew up in a different family. They had a completely different experience to me. How did that happen? I'm like, well, this is how our bodies work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're all unique. We all respond and process things differently and the same. (laughs) So it could be that a parent was sick. Maybe the parent was in overwhelm. Maybe the parent didn't know how to do it, didn't have it taught to them how to parent. Maybe it's been handed down through the generations. Maybe there's something genetic about it. There's so many different aspects to how we form who we are and how we fit into the world that you can't say, oh, it was my mother's fault. Although I hear that a lot, but it it's only one part of it. Mum may have done something or not done something, but often there's a reason for that. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes it just makes no sense and we don't understand why. But it's not about, oh, it's all their fault because now we're adults. And so it's, okay, this was my experience. And what am I going to do with it now? I have some choices I can make. And we have traumatic experiences as adults. Definitely. You know, the big and small traumas. For instance, for my clients, it could have been that they had a declutter coach come in and not honor them and not honor their stuff. And that was a traumatic experience for them. Mm. It is also about learning how to process things as an adult. And if I'm hearing you correctly, how that relates to the child within us as well. And recognizing that our response to something may be triggered by how we responded to things, how we've learned to respond to things through our formative years. Yes. So for somebody who as an adult had some, like take that example, a coach come in and not respect them, not see them, I would be wondering, getting curious about, did they feel seen as a child? Um, What happened if they were seen? For some people, it's dangerous to be seen. So they've learned to hide. So if somebody comes in and looks at their stuff, it's like, oh, you're seeing me. This is not safe. Sometimes it can be that I've never felt seen And so when somebody comes in and sees me, I don't know what to do with that. And it feels unsafe because I've never felt seen. Mm. There are so many, those are just two examples. Like there's a whole bunch of examples of why somebody reacts a certain way. But getting curious without judgment and just wondering what would have happened if I was seen as a child? Was that dangerous for me? Maybe I was seen. Maybe I was seen too much and I never felt like I could hide. And so somebody coming in and messing with my stuff, that's, that's a bit overwhelming and completely understandable. And why I say often that I'm not a counselor, <laughs> that <laughs> because it's so nuanced and so diverse and you can never know anybody <laughs> Like you can never know anybody fully. I'm always making assumptions of people. 
as much as I try to hold back judgment and try to walk into places with no judgment, I'm still assessing people and I'm still making assumptions of how they're going to react to something or why they're reacting a certain way. And that's why it's really integral for me and my staff to be curious about people mm. and to ask questions and go, I think this might be the reason that you're doing this. Does that resonate with you? Does it feel true? Is that what's actually going on for you? Again, we're not there to be counsellors, but we are there. We have seen so much similarities across people. Mm. And we may have even seen the same response to something, but that doesn't mean that their response is coming from the same place as the last person who had that same response. So it's all about being curious. And I think for our listeners, it's all about being curious for yourself and to be asking those questions of where is this coming from? What can it be? What can this be traced back to? Mm, But I would encourage not getting stuck in that place Mm. of constantly searching for what it can be traced back to. Sometimes it's just enough to know that, hey, there's a young part of me that's not feeling so so hot right now. And also with looking after people, it's important to allow people to have their opinion and their understanding. So getting curious, but even in saying, hey, I think this is what might be happening, we're saying that's what I think. So getting curious and saying something like, what do you think might be happening here? If I'm noticing this, I'm wondering what you're noticing in this area. And just always leaving space for the person to respond with how they feel, how they think, how they understand the situation to be. Often we don't know why we react to things. And so we're just stuck in the reaction. But coming to understand that, hey, there's always a reason for a reaction. And just getting curious actually gives us the chance to pause and create space to respond rather than just react. So it's really important to have that awareness that there's something going on. It doesn't have to be that you know exactly what happened because that can be like a deep dive into darkness. We don't want to do that. We just want to encourage people to become aware that emotions are basically your body just sending you a message. And they're just saying, hey, there's something going on for me right now. And if we can get curious with ourselves to say, I wonder how this was connected. Sometimes we can have like those light bulb moments when we go, oh my goodness. I remember the first time I felt that way. Is that why I've always been acting like this? Oh my goodness. And just, you never know what you can run into. Yeah. And those light bulb moments are probably best done within a counseling session. Yes. <laughs> Not within a decluttering session. <laughs> right. right. Because you are trained to hold space and you are trained to help people to move through that. I think one yeah. thing that stood out to me just then is actually that some people don't even know what the emotion is that they're feeling. Like they're yeah. just feeling something in their body or feeling agitated. They're not feeling the emotion behind that agitation. They're just like, 
I need to move my body or I want to bash something or I want to hug somebody in a positive, let's go positive. And hence this movement that we find ourselves in at the moment around growing in emotional intelligence and Mm -hmm. understanding what our body is trying to tell us in figuring out what it is that I'm even feeling because so many of us have numbed our feelings and have been taught to numb our feelings. You know, our experiences has told us that it's best to numb our feelings. So I think it's really challenging for people to even articulate what they're feeling. And you've said that throughout this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but I think people go one step further and they totally block themselves off from their body. Mm-hmm. And understanding what's happening there. So what we call an emotion is a label we've put on a certain mix of things that happen in our body, jittery stomach and maybe shaky hands or clammy hands and just a feeling of, mm, and we call that anxiety. The awareness gives us the ability to notice what's happening in our body before we label the emotion. So if we can notice, oh, hey, I'm getting that jittery feeling in my belly, that leads to feeling anxiety. So it's not that we're being hit with anxiety. It's that our body has noticed something and is reacting. So it gives us the chance to then pause before all of it hits us Mm -hmm. and to care for ourselves at that point rather than waiting until it's full-blown overwhelm. We've noticed first, oh, that jittery feeling. Oh, that tingling in my hands or feet. And it doesn't have to just be anxiety. It could be anything. And so awareness is probably one of the most important things that we can grow in. Awareness of actually noticing what's happening in our bodies without judging it. It's going to give us that a moment of ability to pause and then to respond rather than just letting our bodies tell us something's happening and reacting. And I think that is a whole nother rabbit hole that we could jump down another time (laughs) is our lack of being able to pause in our society. We haven't been given permission. We don't have the time. We don't give ourselves permission. It's a whole rabbit hole. around permission to pause. Oh, but when I'm speaking of pausing, it can be a millisecond. It's just enough, just enough to give you that chance to acknowledge something in your thinking. You might be amazed at how much space it gives you. A hundred million percent. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I've been on a journey of trying to be more aware and more aware of taking that millisecond approach to every thought that not, you know, obviously it's not every thought and it's not every feeling in my body, but a hundred percent that it only takes a millisecond. And it's both like, it's the fact that it only takes a millisecond and we don't even give ourselves permission to stop for a millisecond. That's true. And, the, and it's so much our responsibility to allow ourselves that permission. Oh, like I'm, my mind's going off with so many thoughts yeah. about 
permission and (laughs) I know what if I give you permission right now not that I have the authority to do that for everybody but just for somebody to speak out you have permission you have permission to become aware of you permission to care about you permission to pause and look after you permission to value you you have permission I think that is a beautiful spot to end this delicious conversation. Thank you, Trish, for being first and foremost my friend. Love you. I love you too. Thank you for being on the podcast, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for everything that you've walked through for you to be able to have garnered the wisdom for the training that you've done for the people that you care for every single day in your practice. And if somebody would like to get more Trish in their life, would you like to share how they can find you? I'm on um, growinghopepsychotherapy.com is my website. That's a big one, but... uh... I'll put a link in the show notes. People will be able to click on it and find you. Do you offer just in-person or virtual sessions as well? I am virtual only, so only online. Excellent. And you're only registered in Australia? I am registered in Australia, but I'm able to care for people around the world. Around the world. Excellent. Well, dear curious ones, I hope you found this discussion illuminating and interesting and you can see for yourself how it relates to all various areas of your life and not necessarily not just clutter and decluttering so let me know if you'd like to have Trish back on we can talk about so much as you can see and hear so again thank you Trish for being on this week and listeners I can't wait to be in your ears again next week so have a wonderful week until then bye bye thank you hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.